Take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. There is a global pandemic taking place. Did you know that? I'm not talking about COVID, though. Talking about a pandemic that is far worse. It's a pandemic of murder. Not a murder as a result of gangs or drugs or methamphetamines. It's not confined to large metropolitan areas. It takes place all over the country and all over the globe. Last year, by some accounts, this pandemic resulted in over 42.7 million deaths globally. This pandemic is the sin of abortion. Today we are celebrating Sanctity of Life Sunday here in Hillsdale County. And as believers, we ought to believe that life matters. Last year, Planned Parenthood reported over 300,000 abortions. They did this while receiving $500 million from the government. But here in our text today, we'll see in verse 3 that the psalmist says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb a reward. And although as believers we know this, the reality is that since the Roe v. Wade decision, over 60 million Babies have been murdered through abortion in the United States. That's 60 million voices snuffed out. Innocent lives lost. Compared to deaths by gun violence in that same period, there were only 1.5 million. That's a ratio of 1 to 60. Yet our society has no problem screwing about needing gun control and gun loss. But at the same time, screams out for the right to snuff out the lives of innocent children at a 6,000% greater rate. Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. God loves children. The children were clamoring to meet Jesus. The disciples believed that he didn't have time for them. Jesus was an important man with important things to do. And the disciples thought, surely these children are simply a waste of time for him. But Jesus responded that he loved them. He wanted them to come to him. But today they're being murdered by the thousands. This, this can't be ignored. It can't be forgotten. As God's people, we need to act. But a right question is, what can we do? We're not legislators. No one in here is anybody of particular power. How can we affect change? The answer to this question is found in our text today because we need to go to the core of the problem. Why is it that so many desire to do away with their children? It's because we've forgotten God's sovereignty. Specifically, God's sovereignty in the home. Today, we've intentionally been singing songs regarding the sovereignty of God over all of life. We've bought into the lie of the world that we control our destiny. That we have a plan that we can follow. In Psalm 127, the psalmist lays waste to this myth. In our time this morning, I'd like us to walk through this psalm and understand the responsibility that we have and the ability that we have to change our country through the way we live our everyday lives. Let's read together Psalm 127. 
The psalmist writes, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for it gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. As the psalmist works through this psalm, he builds an argument for the importance and the blessing of children. Yet, this psalmist does not start where we might think he would start as he talks about the blessing and importance of children. The psalmist begins first with the sovereignty of God over the home. He says in verses 1 and 2, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So we understand the sovereignty of God. We need to understand three important aspects which impact our view of children. First, we need to understand that God is the one who builds the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. America's rugged individualism has led us to believe that we are responsible for our own success. From early childhood, we are encouraged to go out and to take the world by storm, conquer the world, grab it by its throat. We select a career and we begin to seek to move up. We seek out ways to make more money so that we might have more ease, a bigger house, better toys, more comforts, and be successful. We plan out our lives every step of the way. We aim for our goals. And we're encouraged to discard anything that distracts us from those goals. Now, does this mean that we're never home or with our family? Well, that's okay because we're providing for them a lifestyle, right? Does this mean that we're never home? Well, I mean, that's okay. Retirement's coming, isn't it? Further, today's culture is bought into the idea of family planning. We must ask how children fit into this plan. Then we determine how many and when we're going to have them. And if the timing's right to advance the plan, then it's good. But if it's not right, well then it's to be avoided. We can't allow children to derail us and our plans and our goals because we're responsible for our success. But this misses the reality that God is the one who builds the house. God is the one who directs plans. God is the one who is responsible for success or failure. And unless God is the one building your house, you're laboring in vain. John Calvin said, Whatever pro prosperous event may fall out to men, their ingratitude is instantly manifested by their ascribing it wholly to themselves. And thus God is defrauded of the honor which is his due. 
The reason that abortion reigns is because we believe that we have to plan our lives out. That we have to control every step of the way. I ask you today, are you acknowledging God in your home and in your plans? I don't mean just a a cursory nod to God. Is God central in your home? Do you speak of God often? Or is Christianity just something you do on Sunday? Come and check it off your list. Are you so focused on getting a little more money so that you can get that next nice thing that you desire? Are you sacrificing your family for your job? Never home because you're always working. Better to have little and a family that pleases God, a family that you've discipled, than much and a family that's falling apart. No one on their deathbed ever said, I wish I had worked just a little bit more and spent a little less time with my family. You can't accomplish your goals. Only God does that. Unless God builds it, it won't last. We must recognize that God builds the house. Secondly, we must recognize that God protects the house. Verse 2 says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The picture here is of a watchman on the city wall. He, he stands at his post through the night, vigilant, watchful, waiting for any approaching threat. The first sign of trouble, he, he sounds the alarm and the defenses are made ready. But God says if he deems that the time has come for the city to fall, then that work of that watchman is in vain. It won't matter. You know, much of our effort is covered in the guise of protecting our family. We do all we can to keep our family safe and secure. But we fail to remember that God is the one in control. I often smile as I watch parents seeking to protect their children. Now, it's good. It's good. We ought to seek to protect them. It's laudable that we do this. It's part of our responsibility as parents. Some parents seem to take this to an extreme. They would, they would wrap their kid in bubble wrap if they could, if it was okay. You know, many of us think back to our own childhood and the crazy things that we did. Our very existence, the very fact that we're still here, is a testament that God is the one who protects us. The church I grew up in, it's interesting, it, it had, the gym was two stories. And then on the outside, it had these rock pillars that they had built, these decorative rock pillars that went all the way up to the flat roof. Well, as an 8, 9, 10, 18-year-old, we looked at those rock pillars and we thought, what are they there for? Except to climb. I can imagine now if my parents had walked up to me three-quarters of the way up that rock pillar getting onto the roof. What happens if you fall? course, as a young man, I thought, nothing, I'll bounce. We all know that's not the case. We all have stories like that. God is the one who protects the house, not us. We take measures. We're like the watchman. God does not condemn that. But while we guard and while we protect, we're reminded that the end is in God's hands. 
He is the sovereign of the home, not me. He's the one who protects, not me. Are you so consumed with the protection of your children and your family that you've hampered their ability to serve God? What if God called your children to move across the country or across the world to serve him? Are you so protective of your family that you need to have them right next to you? The honest truth is this is a weakness of our culture here. We hold so tight to the family. We can't let our children go, even if it means serving God somewhere else. But we need to remember that God is the one who protects, not us. God is the one who builds the house. God is the one who protects the house. Third, we must understand that God is the one who blesses the house. Verse 2, he says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We love to worry. You know, we spend sleepless nights concerned about the problems that we face. We worry about the world our children will inherit. We worry about how they're doing in school. We worry about the decisions they're making. We worry about our ability to pay the bills. We worry about the problems at work. We worry about our health. But the psalmist reminds us that all this worry is foolish because our worry changes nothing. It's in God's hands. We waste our lives wearing ourselves out with working We rise early and we go to bed late working so that we'll have all that we want. We skip meals. We work overtime. We take multiple jobs so that we can be comfortable. One commentator said, whatever they undertake, it shall dissolve into smoke unless God, in the exercise of pure grace, causes it to prosper. You know, we sacrifice the things that matter most, believing that our workaholic attitude will cause us to succeed. But God is the one who controls it all. Notice how the psalmist ends verse 2. He said, he gives to his beloved sleep. When we understand that God is in control, we can rest in him. We live our lives in balance and sleep with a clear conscience. We're not worried because God is the one who grants what we need. We work hard. We invest in our family. And then we rest. The man said, how many succumb to temptations and try to keep one conscience for Sunday and quite another for weekdays? They have a little faith in what this psalm says, except the Lord Their faith is in strenuous hard work, rising early, sitting up late, eating the bread of toil, and so to win rest and repose for themselves. But it's not so, the psalmist declares, for all that toiling is vain. The Lord gives it to his beloved, that which they need without all the restlessness and anxiety. Their souls reposes in him and keeps them in perfect peace. One reason that abortion is so prevalent is that we believe that we are the ones responsible 
for our success. And as a result, our society views children either as assets or as liabilities and detriments to that success. If they have some at the correct time, well, we welcome them. But if they pose a problem to our finances, our career advancement, our dreams, or our goals, well, they're an inconvenience that can be eliminated. Hopefully, as believers, we feel a little bit differently. But the problem is many of us as Christians have bought into this idea, not, not that we can eliminate them. No, we act much worse. We ignore them. We farm them out to others to care for them. And we move on with life. They can't impede in the way we advance and make money. They can't get in the way of our hobbies. In fact, we begin to complain a little bit when they do. We are frustrated when they impede on our job. Again, better to have little than a family that pleases God because you invested in their discipleship than much in a family that's fallen apart. You see, God is sovereign in the home, not us. When we understand God's sovereignty over the home, then we can understand God's sovereignty through children. He then moves in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. From this section, we learn two important lessons. First, we learn that children are a gift from God. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Meaning here then is not that, is then that children are not the fruit of chance. They're a gift from God. As it seems good to Him, He distributes them to every man as He sees fit. See, God is the one who gives children. In the age of family planning, we need to remember this. When an individual has a child, it's a gift from God. A gift not to be snuffed out. Children are God's gift to us to carry on our heritage. Your lasting legacy is not going to be your job and what you did there. It'll be your children. They're your heritage. You know, when I meet someone who's incredibly successful in life, they've got money, they advanced in their job, they retired in ease, but they failed in their family because they were so focused on life they didn't devote their time to their family, I don't think of them as successful. I'm saddened. They missed their legacy. It's not one of success. Further, children are a reward from God. They are God's gift to you. So savor them. Love them. Prioritize them. You know, a reason that society does not value children is because Christians don't value children. 
John Calvin again said this, It's also to be added that, in, that unless men regard their children as the gift of God, they're careless and reluctant in providing for their support. Just as on the other hand, this knowledge contributes in a very eminent degree to encourage them to bringing up their offspring. Your children are gifts that God has entrusted to you, even if you didn't plan for them. Don't see them as hindrances or an inconvenience. Rejoice that God has allowed you the opportunity to invest in such a deep way. Cherish the moments you have with them. This means that these gifts are not bad. Children are not a bad or an inconvenient gift from God. No, as we see secondly, that children are a blessing from God. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. When a soldier goes to battle, he doesn't view his weapons as inconveniences to be put up with. Nor does he turn down the opportunity to have more weapons. No, the archer can never have too many arrows in battle. Today we might say the infantryman can never have too many bullets. When the armory grants the soldier more arrows or more bullets, he's grateful. They're a blessing. God uses this to illustrate the gift of children. They're not an inconvenience to be put up with. They're a gift that no one should, should turn away. They are essential They're an important blessing in life. So value your children. Today in our culture, many look at them as misfortunes and encumbrances. Compelling poverty. Provision where else these children had not been. But you need to see your children as a gift from God. Dads, don't see child care as your wife's job. It's your job. You be involved. Sit on the floor and play with them. Hold them in your lap and read to them. As they get older, throw the ball with them. Ride the bike with them. Invest in them. Don't ignore them. Moms, don't be wearied in child rearing. It's hard work but it's the greatest job anyone could ever have. You know, it's okay that your house looks like children live in it because they do. The day will come when the children are gone and then the house might be clean. But until then, it's okay. Instead, spend time with your kids. Encourage them. The lesson I've learned is to value the times with my children, the times my children invite me into their life. Dad, look at this. It's not an inconvenience. They're inviting me into their world. It's a chance for care and discipleship. So parents, when your child says, Mom or Dad, look, don't, don't see it as an inconvenience. I'm trying to get something done here. Can't you see that? Instead, see it as an investment. Reality is our society does not value children. We see it all around us. That's why abortion rages. As Christians, we must be different. 
You're not legislators who get to change laws, but you are people who can value children. You need to value the children God has granted to you. They need to be more important to you than your job or your hobby or your friends or your fun. Spend quality time with them. Do they know that they're the most important thing to you? When was the last time you told your children you love them? You said those words, I love you. We must be willing to help those who can't have children. In God's sovereignty, some are unable to have children, but they desire to help children through adoption. We ought to rejoice and hope in this and be thankful for it, but we need to recognize several things as a church. The first one is that it is incredibly expensive. It shouldn't be, but it is. So when people desire to do that as a church, when opportunity arises, we should seek to help with that expense. Help them have children. Often these children have challenges due to their biological families, and we ought to seek to encourage the adopted parents as they labor to disciple these children as their own and love them. We should seek to invest in the children of our community. Many of them do not have parents who love them. So we should love them. We should seek to disciple them. This means we should not see our children's ministry as a labor which must be endured. Let's just get through another year. See it as a privilege and a gift from God to invest in the next generation, particularly in our community, to a group of kids whose parents don't care about them. We should seek to protect children. Exodus shares with us the account of Pharaoh's concern over the growing number of Jewish slaves in Egypt. And as a result, he commands the midwives to begin the process of involuntary abortion. However, Exodus contains the heroic account of the midwives' refusal to obey this command and to protect the innocent. Exodus 1, 16 and 17 says, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. You know, for some time now, Israel had been living in Egypt. And you recall that Joseph came first. His family followed due to an extreme famine. Joseph's been off the scene for a long time. He's long forgotten. The Jews have been growing, and in them the Pharaoh of Egypt sees a problem. A large contingent of non-Egyptians now lived in Egypt. He worried that they'd rise up and overthrow them. So he commanded the midwives to to practice genocide through forced abortions. But notice what the midwives did. They protected the innocent. They refused to participate in that atrocity. The question is, what does that look like today? Every one of us should work to protect the innocent, but but what does this look like in our little town? What can we actually do? As I conclude this sermon, let me recommend six ways we can practically help. Number one, we can help through the active and financial support of local pregnancy centers. Think now of helping hands. I'm thankful for them. It used to be Alpha and Omega, the pregnancy center here in Hillsdale. Look for opportunities to help them. Look for opportunities to invest in them financially and with time. 
Some of you might consider adoption. Give the mother a viable option to grant that child a better life. I am incredibly thankful for our members here, past and present, who've taken this route of adopting children. You know, as a church, we should seek to support them in every way possible. Third, some of you might consider becoming foster parents. You know, sadly, our world, our country, our society, our county, is filled with unwanted children who've become part of the system. An opportunity exists for good Christian couples to invest in children that no one else loves. Fourth, all of us should make abortion a central element of our voting practices. We should actively promote and vote for legislation that will overturn Roe v. Wade. We should also make abortion a litmus test for candidates. I'll say this as plainly as possible. I cannot understand how anyone who claims to be a Christian can in good conscience vote for a candidate who supports the murder of children. I don't understand it. Fifth, support single mothers. You know, we should celebrate mothers who choose to keep their children. We know that raising children with two parents is really hard work. It's exceptionally harder for single parents. So as a church, we should do all we can to support the single mothers. They need our love. They need our care. They need our support. Finally, we should love children. Listen, children are loud. They're energetic. And they're challenging. But we should love them. You know, let let me be frank to some of our older members. Rather than being irritated when these children run through the auditorium, we ought to rejoice that there are children to run through the auditorium. Rather than being irritated when we see that handprint on the door, we ought to rejoice that there are little children to put handprints on the door. Rather than being upset that they made a mess of something or when we start our meals again soon, Lord willing, and they spill a drink, oh, that's going to stain. Every time I see that stain, I think, praise God for that child who made it. Rather than mutter under our breath about parents who just aren't keeping track of their kids. What is wrong with parents these days? We shouldn't help those parents by loving their kids. This church should be a place where children thrive. We have a wonderful children's ministry. Cannot be, begin to express how thankful I am for all of our Sunday school workers and the work that they do, for Marisa and our children's church workers, for Steve and our Awana workers, their gift to the church. Let's support them by loving the kids too. I'm also very thankful for the amount of school teachers we have in our body. Each and every day they invest in countless children in our community whose parents simply don't care. They're overworked, they're underpaid, and vastly underappreciated. 
That ought not be the case in our body. We should regularly encourage those teachers. Ask how you can help them. Ask how you can encourage them. Ask how you can pray for them. They're serving on the front lines of this battle. And even with all of these ways, we can fight abortion. But we also must ask, how do we end it? How does this change? And the answer is seeing the sovereignty of God, specifically in the gospel. The answer is always the gospel. Let me explain. How does the gospel answer abortion? The first premise of the gospel is that life is not about you. It's about God. You're not free to live for yourself. God builds the house. God protects the house. God blesses the house. You were created for a purpose. Mankind rebelled against God and seeks to live for their own devices. And as a result, God condemned mankind to eternal wrath. But he's made an escape. That escape is through faith and trust in Christ. And this involves giving God your life. And if you give God your life, then you hold to a biblical sex ethic. It says in Hebrews 13, 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let marriage, the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Sex is to be between one man and one woman in the confines of marriage only, period, end of discussion. The reason this world fights so hard and so irrationally for this belief of abortion is the belief of the absolute right in this world. That it's the right to have sex whenever and with whoever you want, but it's absolutely counter to what God states. What about those who do fail in the area, end up pregnant outside of wedlock? Well, the gospel's still the answer. Because the second major premise of the gospel is that there's forgiveness at the cross. When we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So we don't look at them with contempt or poorly veiled disdain. No, we come alongside these mothers and help them. We don't sneer and ridicule them. We share with them the love of Christ. Because it doesn't have, the sin doesn't have to define them. For they'll repent and surrender their life to Christ as their Lord and Master. He's faithful and just to forgive their sin. They can find satisfaction and joy. But it comes only through Christ and through faithful obedience to His commands. Major reason that abortion has exploded is the church has forgotten the gospel. Some of us don't really understand it. Some of us don't really believe it. We think it simply means we love people. When in reality, it's much more. It involves the reality that all are sinners headed to wrath and hell and only through the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross can any be saved. So we repent and turn to him. Some of us are scared to share this. So, the world turns elsewhere for their comfort. But those things can't bring comfort. The gospel is the only answer. So commit to share it with one person. Who's your one? Your family is a gift from God. It's under the sovereign care of God. So invest in your family. Parents, invest in your children. Grandparents, invest in your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Invest in them. Prioritize your family. Don't see it as an inconvenience, but as a privilege. And we can help 
curb the tide of abortion by valuing life. And we demonstrate this in the way that we value our family. See God's sovereignty in the home. Here's your three so what's for today. Number one, value and prioritize your family. Make it more important than your job or your toys or your fun or your hobbies. Value and prioritize your family. Number two, love children. Love them. There should be no place in this church for us muttering under our breath about all the kids. Are they always running around and making a mess? Where are their parents? Praise God they're here. I have not yet seen kids coming by themselves without parents until they get a little older. Praise the Lord for them. Love children. Invest in them. I'm so thankful for so many of you who have invested in my children. I stand here today because of people, not my parents, who invested in me. You have an opportunity. Love them. Number three, proclaim and believe the gospel. It's the answer. That's the answer. The answer is not better politicians. I don't think that thing exists. The answer is not better laws. The answer is not more protests. The answer is the gospel. So share it. Father, we thank you for life. You are the God of life. And you granted it to each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you that you are a lover of children. That you yourself said, do not forbid them to come to me. You loved them. You cared for them. Lord, help us to follow your example. Thank you for the kids in this church. Such a blessing to see them growing in the knowledge of you, in their love for you. Lord, I pray that out of this group of young people, you'd raise up young men and women who are passionate about you, who'll serve you with their life and love you with all of their heart. Help us to be tools for the parents to use to advance that goal. Help us to consistently encourage them and care for them. Help us to love the children of our community. Lord, admittedly, at times, that is really hard. Help us to be patient. Help us to be tender-hearted. Help us to see the challenges that they face and to share the gospel regularly. Thank you for the gift of your Son. We love you. In Jesus' name.